um, Acts chapter 3, which is on page 911. The lame beggar healed. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognised him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant. Jesus, whom you delivered over to and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. More things very much for reading for for us. Uh, The question this lunchtime is, what is on offer? What is on offer 
when we hold out the gospel to people. Um, what do you guys think? Take 30 seconds, take the pen on your table, write it down. What do you think is on offer when we hold out the gospel to people? Don't write an essay. Just a few words to do. <laughs> okay, let me, let me tell you about my friend John. Uh, John, in his teenage years, he stepped into church as he was looking for some direction in life. So church seemed like a good place to be. It provided community, which was great. And it provided him teaching, which gave him direction in life. So John told me that's why he decided to become a Christian. Uh, to him, it was clear. What was on offer was a way of life, a way to live a good moral life. Maybe you're here today, you're exploring what Christianity is all about, and let me ask you, what do you think is on offer? Is it a way of life, a moral compass to navigate life, community, hanging out with people who are always smiling, or answers, answers to the purpose of life. Or perhaps for you guys, have you tried sharing the gospel with someone? What was the offer that you, you shared? What do you explain? Was it eternal life? Was it forgiveness? I mean, surely both are an offer, but are you sure that that's ultimate? So what is really an offer when we hold out the gospel to people? And it's really important to get clear on this answer because what the offer is shapes how and why we tell people about it. So think about your job, uh, whichever sector you're in, be it architecture, finan- uh, financial services, media, IT-related stuff. If you have a great design team and a good proposal, uh, that's another client in the bag. If you've got a really good investment portfolio, that's a really easy sell to the customer. But say if you know that your IT systems that you're providing to your customer doesn't really match up to your competitors, it's really a hard sell. So if the product offering is mediocre, it's a very hard sell. And it's the same with the gospel, right? So if the gospel is just another way of living life, it makes it quite a hard sell. I mean, people seem fine out there. I'm sure your colleagues, they seem to be living a fairly like, decent and reasonable life. See, the thing about my friend John, uh, John continued to be in church in his teenage years and as he went to uni and then he started work. But what happened was that he, well, he got into a relationship with a girl who, to be honest, was, had a great, really great life. And months into that relationship, uh, he told me he decided not to be a Christian anymore because he no longer needed direction in life. The community that church provided him, uh, he found out he could find it elsewhere. A church didn't need to be the only source of community. And so I guess it's true for us here. I mean, there are many avenues to look for if you want a moral compass in life. And in these days with where society is, life might be worse if you are a Christian. So let me ask, what really is an offer when we hold out the gospel to people? Why should you believe in it? Why should you offer it?
And you see, this question that we've been thinking about is the same question that Theophilus, the person who was reading Acts, would be thinking in his head as well. See, in many ways for Theophilus, offering the gospel, well, it didn't help them, help him and help them to have a better life. Christianity in the first century was seen as anti-Jewish. It was anti-Rome. It was seen as a Jewish cult. And persecution was guaranteed for anyone who became part of the Jesus movement. And even as last week we saw, right, the risen Lord, risen to the right hand of the Father, even as the risen Lord commands him to back the gospel, why? Why should he do it if he is offering a harder life? Why should we hold out the gospel if we are offering a harder life? So let me ask you, what is an offer when we hold out the gospel to people? The answer is in our key verse today, and that's verse 8. Let me read out verse 8 for you. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. That's our key verse for today. But before we land there, uh, we are on our first point. Uh, The lame man leaps because of Jesus, because of Jesus' name. As as Mo was reading, uh, I wonder if you can imagine how amazing the miracle was. Uh, Think of Holborn Tube Station in rush hour, people streaming in and out, and you know the side stores touting the magazines, people giving out flyers along the way. And in the stream of unfamiliar faces, one after another after another, there's one familiar face in the crowd. Uh, As this crippled lame man in the corner, carried there every day by his friends. And you hear the lame man in the corner muttering the same line over and over again. Could you spare some change, please? And, And some would look at him with pity, but most would ignore him thinking that it's a scam. But of course, it's, it's not a scam uh, because this, lamb, this, sorry, this man has been lame from birth. Uh, Luke, in chapter 4, verse 22, Luke tells us that he has been lame from a young age till the age of 40. Every day from young to age 40, this man uh, was there outside asking for money. Uh, but amidst the crowds, he sees two men walking towards him. And there he mutters his usual line, could you spare some change, please? But you know, this time he's not really hopeful because the two men who are approaching him, they're not dressed particularly smartly. But then to his surprise, he hears one of them speak to him and says, look at us. And looking up, he hears, I have no civil and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And all of a sudden, the layman starts to feel a strange sensation in his ankles. Muscle tissues that were never existed starts to form. Sinews that were never connected starts to join. Brain neurons that were never active start to fire. And an instant, the man, he stands up. And as if he's been walking his whole life, he starts to walk and then he starts to, to leap. 
Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I did a bit of weightlifting um, after about five months of not doing any, any kind of exercise. Uh, it took me two whole weeks to recover from the ache. Uh, the layman did some leaping after 40 years of being crippled. It took him two seconds to recover. I mean, it's an amazing supernatural miracle. I mean, it's not the kind of miracle that you might see on the TV or in some videos. Uh, minor back aches being cured or the lame perhaps walking a few steps or maybe the ones who are hard of hearing seemingly to be able to hear a bit better. Uh, this is an instantaneous supernatural miracle. I mean, what a scene it must have been. And you see the people around him, verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And of course, the big question is, how? I mean, how was the lame man able to walk? Similar to Pentecost, uh, Peter, he, he stands up and then he explains to people what's happening. Look at verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witness. Witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Uh, Peter makes a few, exa- few points. God glorified Jesus. You denied. You killed. God raised him up. And we apostles witnessed it. So how did the man, the lame man, leap? Uh, it was Jesus the resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus that we saw last week. He's taken the seat at his father's right hand. He's the one who helped this man walk. And it makes sense, right? So see, Jesus there is described as the author of life. And then it's no surprise if there were creative force creating new muscle tissues in the man, the man who was never able to walk since birth. And if Jesus healed the layman, what does it mean for the crowd? Uh, Peter's very clear about the next steps. So look at verse 18. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Uh, The first thing for them to do is to repent. Uh, Let me ask you, what does repentance mean? It simply means turning from your old ways to follow Jesus. I mean, the picture that people usually use is you're walking one direction according to your own way, following your own rules, but repentance is turning to follow Jesus, follow his way, his rules. That's repentance. Turning from your own ways is a 180 degrees turn. Uh, what would that result in? Your sins being blot out. Uh, being blot out, that's to wipe out or to destroy. And the picture there is one of those, you know, those kids drawing board, the one which you have a pen attached to a string, which is attached to the board, where you can write on it and you can wipe it to restart. Uh, you know, the one that you pull a knob at the bottom, which clears out all the, the mess that was written down. Maybe it's not so common these days with tablets and, and iPads. Uh, but you know what I'm picking, talking about if you, if you know one, uh, you know that device. Um, that's, that's the picture where your sin is blotted out. It's as if you pull the knob at the bottom and wiping every black stain out from your life, your sins being blotted 
out. There's forgiveness. Sins blotted out once and for all. So that's the overall flow of the narrative. Jesus miraculously heals the layman. People are called to repent. Forgiveness is offered. But let me ask, what does that mean for us? Uh, maybe firstly, if anything, this passage should give us confidence that the gospel we hold out is attested, is accredited by supernatural signs. This is a historical event. The lame did, in fact, leap, and the lame leapt because of Jesus. So the gospel we share to people, uh, well, it is attested by supernatural signs. But that still begs the question, isn't it? Uh, what is on offer? Is it a miracle? Uh, you see, the trouble with this is that many of us here has never seen a miracle, or let alone perform a miracle um, yourself. I mean, I, I haven't, at least. In fact, I know many friends, many Christian friends, who do not get healed. Uh, my friend Elliot, uh, last year, 25 years old, uh, died from cancer. Solid Christian guy. Uh, perhaps you yourself... Uh, here might be suffering from illness as well. And it can be very dangerous to, to use a passage like this to say that Jesus would definitely heal you like he did the layman. And many Christians have their faith rocked when they are promised healing, but yet it never happens. So remember what I said last week, Acts is not a how-to manual. Luke isn't teaching us the normal Christian experience. Um, instead, he's trying to make a deeply significant theological point. And if you recall, which I shared about the purpose of, of Luke and Acts, was to give certainty to Theophilus about the things that have been fulfilled, or if you like, um, fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. So we cannot speculate what this healing means, but we need to understand its significance in the context of the Old Testament. And the answer is there, in our key verse, in verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So that's where we come to our second point, the significance of the lame leaping. Uh, the first thing to note is the location. And verse 8, you can see the location is at the, at the temple. So I'm going to read up from verse 1 to 10 and try to count how many times the word temple comes up. From verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried out, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. I look down to verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful, beautiful gate of the temple, asking alms. How many times? Six times uh, the word temple is repeated. And if you count the gate of the temple, it's even got a name there, the beautiful gate. Uh, that's an additional three more times. And look at verse 11. Uh, Luke gives you this name, a really random portico, and he, call, I mean, he tells you the name. Uh, the, the portico is called Solomon, uh, which is pretty strange. And let me ask, what 
Oh, what was King Solomon famous for in the Old Testament? Exactly, that's right. He, he was the king that built the temple. And so the question is why? Uh, why does Luke want to impress upon us that it was at the temple? And to get the heart of this passage, we need to understand the significance of the temple in the Old Testament. So in a nutshell, the temple is God's house. It's his dwelling place. It's his abode. It's the place where you meet him. It is a place where sinful people, through sacrifices, can draw near to a holy God. You think temple, you think God's presence. But the Old Testament also makes it clear that the temple was never meant to be the ultimate thing. It was always pointing to something greater, beyond the physical temple. Uh, Firstly, the temple pointed back to the beginning of creation, where God's presence was with his people in the Garden of Eden. But it also points forward all the way to end in Revelation, where God's dwelling place is with men. If some of you know Revelation, it says that there is no temple in the new creation because you don't need a temple because God is there with men. There's no more need of the temple because the temple is pointing to the ultimate home, the ultimate reality, life, with God, in the presence of God. Uh, Think of it something like your country's embassy in the foreign land. Uh, I'm Singaporean, so there's a Singaporean embassy here in the UK. Uh, That points to the true reality, which is the nation of Singapore. Uh, If you go there, what do you see there? You see a flag being hung up, Singaporean flag. You see pictures of the president. Uh, But the reality is not the embassy. It points to the greater thing, uh, the real thing, the nation of Singapore. And likewise, the temple in the Old Testament, it had symbols of the Garden of Eden. You had trees there. You had all sorts of stuff which reminded you of the garden. But the reality is not the temple. It is living with God in the presence of God in his land. So that's the first thing to know. Temple is about God's presence, God's dwelling place, God's home. And it points to this ultimate reality of life with God dwelling with him. And where was the lame man? Uh, He was sitting daily, not in the temple, but outside, at the gate. He was stuck outside the temple. He couldn't go in. The second thing you need to know to understand this passage is the word leaping. Uh, The word leaping, it's it's such a strange word. It happens only four times in in the New Testament three times in Acts and twice here in our passage. And anyone who is vaguely familiar with the Old Testament, um, the word leap would have instantly brought to mind a really significant prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter 35, he he spoke about a new exodus that's going to happen, a final exodus where people will finally be reunited in God's presence. Uh, Listen to how it's described. So go to Isaiah chapter 53. That's page 595 of the Bibles there. So go go to verse 4, Isaiah 35, page 595. From the last line of verse 4, He will come and save you, that's God. God will come and save you. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ear of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Uh, the lame man leaping like a deer. I mean, imagine planet Earth, David Attenborough's voice in the background. Uh, the picture of a strong young deer leaping and bounding in the sun, leaping across the plains of Africa. Uh, that's the new Exodus, the picture described as a layman, leaping like a deer. A leaping is all about the new exodus. A stay in Isaiah, notice their destination in verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. What is at Zion? A Mount Zion, that's where the temple is in Jerusalem. And you can tell that the Exodus is the focus here uh, because Peter speaks about Moses in chapter 3. So flip back to Acts chapter 3 and look at verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Uh, You see there, Moses prophesied about a new prophet like him who will lead the people to the promised land. A new Moses leading a new Exodus. And might I suggest that maybe that's why uh, Luke includes that funny detail about the man's age, uh, 40 years old. Uh, does 40 years ring a bell? Uh, 40 years is the number of years Isra- the Israelites were in the wilderness before they reached the promised land. Uh, you see, um, it's all about this new Exodus. So first we have the temple, signifying God's presence. And then we have this lame man of 40 years, sitting outside the temple each day, utterly, utterly excluded. But today, it's different. The risen Lord has taken his seat at the Father's right hand. The king is reopening a way back home. And the lame man, he stands and he leaps like like Bambi, like the young deer, uh, not across the plains of Africa, but into the temple. He enters the temple with Peter and John back into God's presence. So let me ask, uh, what is an offer when we hold out the gospel? It is entry into God's presence. It is returning home. That's what is on offer, getting back into God's presence being reconciled with our Creator, leaping home. Uh, Maybe maybe you might not be convinced, uh, temple and leaping, that sounds a bit like stretch, but remember, Luke here, he wants to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament categories. And we tend not to be too familiar with the Old Testament. But any first century reader who who picks this up, uh, will pick this up, uh, that passage is all about re-entry into God's presence, reconciliation with our Creator. And I want to suggest that we, we miss the significance of this. It's because we've gotten used to how horrible this world is in its rebellion against God. We, we accept it as reasonable when people say that God doesn't exist. But the truth is, it's intellectually dishonest for anyone to say that this world created itself. Something from nothing, matter from, from non-matter, it's crazy. It's, it's, really, it's really crazy. And, and we've gotten used to that. 
It's horrible. This is rebellion against the Creator God. And we've gotten used to it. But don't you see? I mean, it's so good that what is on offer is reconciliation with our Creator. And to be very clear, this passage is not a how-to on how to run a healing ministry. It's not some gimmick evoking the name of Jesus and the false promise of definite healing. It is far, far more significant than that. Luke is showing us what is on offer. It is to be able to get back into relationship with God. Luke is saying, because Jesus has risen, finally, the way home is open. So, yes, in, in one sense, Christianity does offer a way of life. I mean, I would suggest it's the best one. Yes, it's also true that Christianity does offer a community, and I would suggest it's, it's the best one. And yes, Christianity does offer eternal life and forgiveness and everything else. But the pinnacle of that, the goal of all those things, what is ultimately on offer, is entry into God's presence. It's reconciliation with your Creator. A blessings is not the goal. Forgiveness is not the goal. Eternal life is not the goal. God is the goal. Back in his presence. That's the goal. And from all there, being back with God, all the blessings flow. Purpose, community, life, it flows from God. But God is the goal. Uh, listen to a quote from Piper in God is the Gospel. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and serving God. And people would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. What is on offer? God is on offer. Relationship with Him. A new exodus back in his presence. So think about Theophilus. Can you see how this inspires certainty, certainty in him? See, the gospel to the nations spreading across the Mediterranean, it isn't an anti-Jewish cult. In fact, it's, it's reopening the way to be reconciled with Israel's God. And, and how about us? Um, if today you haven't yet repented and believed, uh, can you see that the way back to God is wide open. I remember the, the layman he leapt, uh, but the offer of the gospel was given to the crowd. Uh, Peter turned to the crowd and offered them the gospel. So repent, turn from your ways, choose today to follow Jesus. And like a young Bambi deer, uh, you, you have leapt back to your Creator. If you, if you call yourself a Christian, I mean, what a great privilege. What a, what a great privilege to offer relationship with God as we speak to our friends and colleagues. And that's what we're doing. Every time we hold out the gospel to them, you're offering God reconciliation with our Creator. Uh, as we close, there might be one last question in the back of your mind. Uh, if the offer is so great, like why, why do people reject it? Why do you face persecution if the offer is so good? I mean, why is it so hard to share the gospel? And the beauty about God's word is that Luke is also really interested in that question. Uh, look at chapter 4, verse 1. 
And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. I mean, if the, if the offer of God is so great, why do people reject it? Why is it so hard to share the gospel? If you want to know the answer, you've got to come back next week. Uh, but for this week, uh, our key verse, chapter 3, verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that because of the risen Lord Jesus, the way to you is now open. Thank you, Father, that we can call you Father. I mean, what a great privilege it is. So please, Father, will you help us to see this amazing privilege we have as we hold out the gospel to people. And we ask, Father, that you might draw many here in Common Garden to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.